The Language of Deceit Notes and Extracts Mistrust and Verification The what is usually clearer than the why. Everybody seeks some level of success. The more followers you have, the more people will follow you. Most people go where the people go. To be followed is to be studied and to be watched. To be the focus of attention is often an unwelcome responsibility. Culture and societies are more complex than even the scientists would have us believe. All movements seek to move people. Every cause serves an agenda. Each leader is defined by his or her advocates and followers. Cult of personality is as real as it is dangerous. Culture requires personalities and we can be as addicted to ideologies as anything else. Anything that keeps our mind occupied will limit our thinking. Worse still, we can come to love our addictions. The irrationality of our choices is as welcome and enlightening as it is frightening. We are always likely to become prisoners of our own thoughts if we leave them unchecked. Each piece of information that we receive is another part of the puzzle that must be accepted and placed neatly into the underlying story. If the data we receive changes and we fail to adapt, then we will always fail to act appropriately. Even today, there is nothing new under the sun. Read Sun Tzu's The Art of War or Meditations by Marcus Aurelius or even the Biblical tales and then just look around. Human events are circular. Some will say repetitive. But let's return to our narrative. It was clear that having a dictatorship in the United States was increasingly realistic. And our hero, General Smedley Butler, wanted to stop it. Being worried about losing his credibility in public, Butler needed to find somebody 
who would validate his claims and conduct a discreet investigation. He needed corroboration and evidence. He needed help. Advantageously for him, the people behind the plot did not really know the real him. Just his public persona. And so they assumed that he was on their side. They believed that his loyalty would be to their authority and trusted he would be discreet about their secret plans. Eventually, the general found a reporter, Paul Comley French, whom he introduced to Maguire. During their meeting, Maguire foolishly and openly talked about his visions for a fascist America and revealed that large funding would also be available from the J.P. Morgan empire. Criminals love to brag about their crimes and their wonder-filled intentions. The cat was out of the bag. Plots require plans, and plans require meetings, and meetings have agendas. In the fall of 1934, the circulating rumours about the anti-Roosevelt plot reached the ears of already concerned congressman Samuel Dickstein, a Liberal Democrat from New York, who got congressional approval for an investigation. Naturally, that led to questioning veterans and logically to Smedley Butler, who at that point decided to go public, believing that a direct method was the best method, he called a press conference. A couple of weeks later, a new committee was formed to investigate Nazi propaganda and anti-American activities. Maguire, who was called up for investigation as well, portrayed a different story from Butler's and naturally denied the whole conspiracy. The American Liberty League as well denied the story and tried to pin the attention back on Butler by questioning his mental stability. The committee, however, believed the testimonies of Butler and French and stated so in their final report. There was no legal action implemented towards the powerful individuals who Butler and French testified were behind the plot. It is believed that Roosevelt was advised, or perhaps cautioned, not to continue with the investigation further. 
when Butler learned that part of his testimony was omitted. He took his case to a public radio station and questioned the committee's action not to investigate the members of the wealthy elites involved. Behind the scenes, the conspirators were rushing to cover their tracks and destroy any remaining evidence. John Spivak, a reporter from the socialist magazine New Masses, interviewed Butler and helped him to put the conspirators' names down into the public record. Testimony showed that the plotters represented many notable American families. Rockefeller, Mellon, Pugh, Pitcairn, Hutton, and Bush. Also, there were great American enterprises involved. Morgan, DuPont, Remington, Anaconda, Bethlehem, Goodyear, GMC, Swift, Sun, and even General Motors. In 1935, Butler published his book, nowadays considered one of the anti-war classics. It sadly did little to influence policy, as within five years the USA would be embroiled in another worldwide conflict. What Butler fought so hard to do was to take the focus off moral and ideological arguments for war and concentrate on the geopolitical factors and economic interests that actually motivated wars. He tried to raise awareness of what the real profit-centered motivations of war were, aside from the terrible personal and social consequences of unnecessary conflict. Although all of the top US fascists behind the 1930s plot are now dead, their corporations and their ideologies are still with us. These companies and rich families, with their roots firmly planted in the fascist milieu of the 1930s, are now among the world's wealthiest trade corporations, banks and international power brokers. They continue to exert an enormous invisible influence over US government policies and over global matters of war and peace. Whether this influence is good or bad is for each person in themselves to study. Naturally, conclusions will vary. The wish for a more corporate approach to the concept of government is still popular. The inflexibility of a rotational electorate system that could be instantly disrupted by public unrest has always fueled the need for a system where the more things changed, 
the more they stayed the same. Stability is as important as ability. Could the misinformed masses really be allowed to chart their own course or decide their own destiny? Surely a better way could be found. Perhaps gradually the public would become tired of the endless quest for democratic solutions to imperial problems. Or perhaps public opinion would simply become irrelevant. Pressure and control are consistent elements of nature and society. The exertion of some kind of force is always inevitable. We can be killed more easily than we can be cured. We can be fooled and we can be fooled again. The playbook of life is subject to the repetition of what works. Little has changed down through the ages and the oscillations of freedom and tyranny seek to remind us of the fragility of the human experience and the beauty of life. Contrast the creations of man against the creations of nature to begin to understand how all of the parts fit together. Watch thundering waves crash into a steadfast wall and observe the results. Humanity is a complex organism. Choices are not always apparently rational. People seem often to decide in their mind what is right before they know the facts. Furthermore, they will reject facts that oppose what they have already convinced themselves is true. The truth has become more subjective and less objective as mass media has proliferated all corners of society. You can fool a lot of the people a lot of the time now, and that is all that is necessary to maintain control. It is not the foolish who are ruled by fools, but the listless, lethargic, and the laissez-faire. It is not wrong to contemplate, but those who wait too long often turn up too late. The perfect moment might not exist, but the right time can be judged in hindsight through the study of results of actions. We are all tested all of the time. We are all challenged. We all face adversity. But it is what you do in the face of this adversity that changes the game. We all have to choose. The language of deceit. Notes and extracts.